Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. We're transitioning now into the message to the Word of the Lord. And how many's come to hear a word from God? I have good news. I have a word from the Lord. Amen. Only by His grace. And I thank him today. So please continue to fill out and turn in those cards. And then please hear the word of the Lord, Matthew 5. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps the most famous sermon ever preached. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, just slap them back. Oh, I've read so many versions, I got confused there for a minute. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you, takes away your tunic, just blow his mind and give him your cloak too. Whoever compels you, to go one mile, go with him two. And that's going to be my focus today. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go two. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How's everybody doing with these things? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do that. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, if you will do these things, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. My subject today, I trust for your information and your edification, is simply entitled, Two Mile Christians in a One Mile World. Two Mile Christians in a one mile world. And I just felt a wave of the anointing of the Lord come over me. And I thank him for his confirmation. Everybody's gonna help me preach by saying amen at least one time, may be seated. Amen, thank you so much. There's a big difference between a little more and a little less. For example, three times three times three times three is 243. But add one digit, four times four times four times four is 1,024. Just by adding one digit with the same formula, there's a fourfold increase. Jesus explained the difference between a little less and a little more when he taught the principle and he modeled the principle of going the second 
mile. I'm glad to announce to you today, and you already know this, but Jesus was not a lab coat technician. Jesus was not a theorist who said, you know, if you do this and you do that and you live and, you know, behave this way and that way, it'll more than likely turn out great. No, no. He modeled the behavior that he was advocating. He was always the first fruits of everything that he was espousing. This principle in Matthew chapter 5 is actually transcended by the entire Sermon on the Mount discourse. It's not, it's not just one verse, you know, someone tells you to go one mile, go two miles. This really is the spirit of the entire sermon in Matthew chapter 5. It's plain to see that in this famous message, Jesus is casting vision and creating a new culture. The culture of Christianity, which the world knew nothing about. In this narrative, Jesus gives the common expectations within the community about how certain behaviors should unfold. So he sort of starts with where they are. And that's what great teachers do. They always start with what we know. And then they take us to what we don't know. Great teachers take us from what we've heard to what we've never heard. And this was the motif of Jesus teaching. So he tells them, here's the expectation. If somebody compels you to go one mile, you do that. But here's what you've never heard before. Then just blow their minds and go the second mile. He challenges his followers to one-up the culture, to stand out, to make a difference, and to take the way they live their lives to a whole new level. And I'm going to tell you today that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to be brighter than ever before, saltier than ever before to make a difference. I'm going to tell you something. We're living in a lazy world. Man, I think I'm operating in the gifts right now. We're living in a lazy world and it really doesn't take as much as it used to to stand out. Not to be popular, but to present Christ. Amen. So, for example, verse 27, Jesus says, You've heard us said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, I'm taking this to a whole new level. Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in their hearts. That, that law goes to a whole new place. Turn to somebody and say, it went to a whole new level right there. Listen to verse 39. If someone slaps you on the cheek, don't slap him back. Mike Tyson never heard that verse. But turn to him your other cheek. 
Verse 43. If you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, that's no big deal. Try this. Love your enemies. That's a whole new level. Bless those who curse you. Even when you're driving your car. And someone gives you hand signals. I'm sort of having a therapeutic moment right now. Don't, don't give them hand signals back. Huh? I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good things to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How many have ever found the liberating peace that comes over you when you pray for somebody that did you wrong? Four people. Is this a Christian church? (laughs) Do we actually love the Bible? Do we actually do what the Bible tells us to do? Come on. Have you ever had somebody mistreat you, say something about you, do you wrong, never paid you back that lousy $20 you gave them 40 years ago? Are you going to carry a grudge or are you just going to call it an offering? Praise God. Just call it an offering and see how God's going to bless you for it. Are there any real Christians in the house? Are there any really Christ-like people in the house? When somebody slaps you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. When somebody bears false witness, don't return the say. Bless them with a prayer. How would that impact the world? Wow. Some people are not sure if step programs are biblical. Well, God invented the first 10 step program. It's called the 10 commandments. I thought that was pretty good. The law was good. It served its purpose for its time. The law brought order and morality and expectations of decency. Would you agree with me that if everybody just obeyed the Ten Commandments, they're no big deal, really. That's just treating people the way you would want to be treated. The world would be a better place. The law was legalistic. It was good at exposing and condemning its offenders. But where it was weak was in motivating the behavior that pleased God. And so it really was missing something. So Jesus shifted the expectations and therefore the behaviors of the New Testament believers by introducing the power of the second mile, which is actually the power of grace. And the second mile principle demonstrates that grace takes everything to a whole new level. So just take a deep breath and take a little journey with me. The Roman mile was about a thousand paces. Someone said that's about 
1,500 yards, which is a little bit short of our mile. Compelling someone to go a mile was actually an ancient practice that originated with the Persians and carried over into the Roman era. That any government official or military personnel of the ruling government could legally require any citizen to carry their baggage or their equipment for one mile. But after you carried it for one mile, you were completely relieved of your cultural, if not legal, obligation. In fact, when Jesus stumbled under the weight of the cross, the Roman soldiers who were escorting him invoked the one-mile rule randomly on Simon of Cyrene, who picked up Jesus' cross and carried it from the Via Dolorosa to the site of his execution at the base of Mount Calvary. But Jesus took this cultural requirement to a whole new level when you notice what he did not say. He did not say if an official Roman emissary or dignitary or a Roman soldier compels you to carry their burden, Jesus said, if anyone... If anyone compels you to carry their burden for a mile, carry it the second mile. Jesus, I love Jesus. He raised the bar. He upgraded the expectations of the behavior of those who said they wanted to follow him. He was saying to them that day in Matthew 5, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to go beyond the expectation. If you're going to follow me, you've got to exceed cultural sensibilities because my kingdom is bigger than this world. My kingdom operates on a higher level that this world does. You know the expectation of the world and the commonalities of the world, but I've come to elevate. I've come to lift up. I've come to take everything to a new level. I've come that my light will shine in you and through you and all around you. Amen. So you will need to reach for something more. You will need to discover the joy, the power, and the blessing of going the extra mile. Oh, I want to be a two mile Christian in a one mile world. Would you agree with me that this world is lazy? Oh yeah. You know, people don't even get dressed up anymore. You know, when I took my first airplane ride, I was 12 years of age. I flew from Minneapolis to, Mani- to Winnipeg, Manitoba, my parents. I was so impressed. Women had on business suits. Men had on coat and tie. I'm like, wow, this is a deal. 
Today, if you line up like Southwest herds you around like cattle, and all the A's get up, and then the B's and the C's, oh, there's, there's some people you just want to look straight ahead. Now, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just talking about decency. I saw a picture the other day of Babe Ruth at the plate at Yankee Stadium in 1927. I should have brought it. And in the background, you can clearly see the fans in the stands. And every man in the stands in 1927 is wearing a white shirt and tie and a, and a fedora like Kai wears. It's so old, it's new. And I thought, wow, how impressive is that? People don't get up and go to work anymore. I'll tell you what, the other day I was on the road and it was about two o'clock and I thought, you know what, there's a Dairy Queen. I need a blizzard right now. Anybody ever had that, that God moment? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I pull through the drive-thru. Nobody comes on the speaker. I pull around to the drive-up window. It's dark. The place is dark. I'm like, they didn't come to work today. Why aren't they coming to work today? I'll tell you why. Because our beautiful government is writing them a check for twice as much as they were making working at the drive-thru. People are lazy. People don't take even their trash to the dumpster anymore. I drive around. I see complete abandoned living room sets on the side of the freeway. I'm like, what is going on? People don't take responsibility for their own actions. It's like anybody like feeling like you're having therapy right now. Is it really helping you? Yeah, that's my job. So there's this attitude, you know, it's not my job. Since when do I have to do that? I checked into a hotel this week and uh, I got my luggage dolly and I loaded stuff up and I took it up to the room and I unloaded it and I took my dolly back down, put it right where I found it in the front door. And then a little bit later, I went out to get some ice about an hour later and I looked and there was a luggage dolly down there at the end of the hallway. I thought, uh, because I knew what I was going to preach today. I thought, now there's a one miler right there. No, he's not taking that back downstairs because that's not his job now that he got his luggage up there. Does this stuff drive anybody nuts but me? Huh? It's a lazy world. But I'm going to tell you, we have an opportunity to shine bright. Amen. If we'll just have a good work ethic, if we'll just be kind to other people, if we'll just do our job and then help somebody else do their job and not sit there and count the beans and say, well, that's not in my job description. Jesus is saying you are lousy. You're just filling in the blanks in this culture. If you're not going to take everything to a new level, Zig Ziglar said there are no traffic jams on the second mile. That's not in the Bible, but it could be. The first mile is the mile of obligation, the mile of requirement, the mile of normal expectations. But the second mile, and we sang it today, Dr. Larmy, Sister Crystal, we missed you all. We're so glad you got a vacation, but we're glad you're back. What a blessing you are to us. Sarah and her team did a great job 
indeed. But we're just glad that you're here today. But we sang, we sung about the joy that should accompany our walk with God. And there is no joy in Christianity until you get on the second mile. The first mile is required. But when you get into that second mile, there is joy, there is love, there is peace, there is gentleness, there is long suffering, there is fulfillment. And it's in the second mile that we begin to add value to the people that are around us and we truly begin to make a difference. The first mile is bumper to bumper rush hour parking lot traffic 24-7. But oh, if you can ever kick in the afterburner and get into that second mile. The attitude of the second mile says, I'm not going to do just what is required or expected of me, but I'm going to reach for a little bit more. The second mile Christian must have a really good attitude. Everybody say attitude. Jesus had the greatest attitude the world has ever seen. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 2, 5, let this attitude be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Second mile believers have a great attitude. Makes me think of the behavioral study that behavioral psychologists were conducting. They asked the parents of twin 10-year-old boys if they could take them and study them. And so they took them out to uh, out the outskirts of town. And one of the boys they put in a room full of toys. And the other boy they put in a barn that had a pile of manure in it. Brothers, 10 years old, raised in the same home. So about two hours they came back. The boy in the room full of toys was sitting in the middle of the toys sobbing. Because his favorite toy was not in this room full of toys. Just sitting there sobbing. They went out to the barn and his brother had found a shovel and he's digging into that pile of manure and he's throwing one this way and one scoop of it that way. And they said, wait a minute, what's going on here? He said, if there's all this stuff in here, I know there's got to be a pony down in here somewhere. Everybody all right? To be sure, some people need to be delivered from addictions, drugs, alcohol, nicotine. Pornography, anger, all of these things that ruin people's lives. But there is another kind of deliverance that I'm preaching to you about today. Amen. That, that will take everything to a new level. There's another deliverance that's needed in the church today. And that's a deliverance of what is here for me. What is in it for me? How much do I need to do or how little do I need to do, Bishop, and be a member of this church? How little do I need to do and make it to heaven? Is this a heaven or a hell issue? Is this going to get me right or is that going to get me right? Listen, if that's your attitude, I don't know if you're ever going to make it. Why don't you just start doing it whether you need it or not? Because it would be better at the end of your life to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Why don't you just catch the 
picture and the spirit of Jesus Christ who himself was always willing to go the second mile. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter nine tells us the story of the conquest of Canaan. Joshua and the children of Israel were on a fast track to wipe out all their enemies. Jericho fell. Ai fell after a little adjustment. And there was a band of people called the Gibeonites who just lived about 20, 30 miles away, just over the next hill side. But they disguised themselves. They knew Joshua was not familiar with all of the tribes that were in Canaan. They made themselves to look like faraway travelers. And they uh, put on old clothes with patches on them and put dust on themselves. And they took their wineskins and they put patches on their wineskins. And they got bread that was moldy and dusty and made it look like they've been traveling for months. And so they came to Joshua and they said, they said, Joshua, make a league with us. Make a covenant. We've heard of your exploits. We live days and days and days away from here. You, you may not ever, ever, ever come across us, but, but, but we want you to, to make a covenant with us that you won't destroy us uh, when you uh, come across our area where we live. And so the Bible said that Joshua and the elders did not seek the Lord. They did not consult with God on this decision. They just went ahead and said, well, that sounds reasonable. They're from a far country. We'll probably never even need their land anyway. So they made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And uh, they said, okay, we, we will bring you no harm. Oh, the Gibeonites, man, they were giddy. And they were excited. And man, we got covenant. We're going to be fine. Nobody's going to bother us. And uh, three days later, when Joshua found out what they did, how they deceived him. He could really feel, blame nobody but himself because he didn't seek the Lord. But he was so upset and he got with the elders and they said, all right, we're going to keep our agreement, but we're going to put a tax on them. We're going to make them agree to do something. And they said, I'll tell you what, every day a Jewish family needs a stack of firewood. And every day a Jewish family needs some water for drinking and cooking. And so we're going to make you the hewers of wood and the bearers of water. That is your judgment. That's the tax we're levying on you today because you deceived us. And so for years, the Gibeonites became hewers of wood and bearers of water for a hundred years 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, 500 years, Gibeonites cut wood and bore water because it was required of them. It was the obligation. You might say it was one mile living because of what had been pronounced upon them. But I'm going to tell you that when David, the king of Israel, was beginning to rise as the king. He was not king yet, but Saul's regime was going down and David's regime was rising up. There was men that were coming to David at the cave of Abdullah 
And they were saying, David, we see that your kingdom's on the rise and we want to help you gain superiority. We want to help you conquer your enemies. Would you give me a sword and a shield and I will go out there and I will fight for you. And I'm so glad that it was one of these men in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 4. His name was Ishmael the Gibeonite who had been cutting wood and bearing water. But he decided, I'm breaking through for my nation. I'm breaking through for my family. I'm breaking through for my people. I'm not going to live my life the way my ancestors taught me to live. I'm not just going to sit by and just cut wood and bear water and not get involved in the action. But I'm going to roll up my shirt sleeves. David, would you, would you give me a sword? Would you give me a shield? I'm on your team. I'm going to find out the joy of living in the second mile and I want to preach to somebody here today God's calling you to a new level God's calling you to a new commitment are you just going to do the bare minimum or are you going to step up and say give me a sword give me a shield I want to make a difference oh I want to make a difference hallelujah We are called to add value to the kingdom of God. I want to ask you a question. When you touch something, does it get better or worse? Some of you remember, we had a music minister here. He was precious, Shannon Harris. Shannon had a reputation, like things would break in his hands. I remember one time he's at the keyboard and the keyboard uh, stand collapsed, just went right to the floor. He's like playing air keyboard. And then one Sunday, Shannon was so nervous. He'd always be, if he had a microphone, he'd be, you know, sort of fiddling with it, you know, and he's holding it and all of a sudden it just, it just, it just fell apart. We never did get it back together. You know, some people just have a gift. And so, I want to ask you today, what has God put in your hands? Is it improving? If it is, you're a second miler. If it's staying the same, you don't get points for that. When God gives you something, he expects to get it back in better shape than it was when you gave it to him. Matthew 25 is the parable of the five talents. One guy had five, one guy had two, one guy had one. The five and the two learned the joy of getting on the second mile. And the man that had five gained five. And the man that had two gained two. The man with two didn't get an attitude and say, well, I didn't get five, so I ain't doing nothing with my lousy two talents. No, he added value. He got on the team. He invested his talents. And proportionately, he did the same thing that the man with five did. But the man with one was a one-mile person. The one talent was a one-mile man. And he never knew the joy of bringing, making a difference and adding value to the work of God. In life, 
There are givers and takers. There are lifters and leaners. There are people who add to and people who take away from. So, just one more illustration. This really is an illustration, the Bible, of the attitude that the bride of Christ should have. Abraham sent his servant out to find a wife for his son Isaac. And so he prayed. He said, Lord, be good to me, to my master. And he asked Abraham, he said, what if she isn't willing to follow? He said, then you're, you're, you're relieved of your responsibility if she won't come willingly. I don't want my son to have a reluctant bride. I don't want my son to have a bride who feels like she's doing her job and doesn't serve her husband with delight. So he travels and he comes to a well and the women are coming out, gather their water, and he's praying as he's there by the well. Single gentlemen, listen to this prayer. Lord, help me to find a wife for my master. Help her to be willing. Let her ask me if I want a drink of water. But then, Lord, I'm asking for something else. I'm asking for something more. I'm asking for something extra. Let her be the one that offers to water my camels. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's a bold prayer. Because one camel can drink 20 gallons of water in one setting. And he's got 10. 200 gallons of water. If she has a two-gallon or five-gallon pitcher, let's say, on her shoulder. That would be a big one, five-gallon. It's going to be 40 trips to the well in a hot noonday. That's a bold prayer. But he's saying, God, I want this woman to be a two-miler. I don't want some loser with an attitude that's going to walk around with a grumpy face and doesn't have a heart to serve and won't come willingly. I want somebody that's going to serve with joy. I want somebody that's going to be happy. I want somebody that's going to make a difference. I want somebody that's going to do more than what's required. That's the kind of a bride that I'm looking for. And can I tell you that that is still the kind of a bride that Jesus Christ wants. If you're here out of obligation, then you're dismissed. If you're here just because you don't want to go to hell, then that is no way to serve God. That is not an octane that you can successfully live and overcoming in a victorious life. But sometime in your walk with God, you've got to say to yourself, I'm not just going to come to church twice a week, pay my tithes and be on the praise team. That would be great and we're glad that you'll do that. But we need people with good attitudes. Pastor needs people that are going to make a difference. Everything they touch goes to a whole new level. People that smile, people that are glad, people that are happy, people that say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I'm not just happy to be here, but I want to make a difference. I want to do something for God. This little girl named Rebecca, she comes out 
he's watching her. She, she pours the water. She gets what she needs. She turns and sees the stranger. Sir, I've never seen you here before. His heart starts pounding. <laughs> Would you like a drink? Check that box. She asked for a drink. Okay. Gives him a drink. And then she asked the $64,000 question. Would you like for me to water your camels? She makes a two-hour commitment in the hot desert sun to serve a complete stranger. Now, that, my friends, is a two-miler. And Jesus Christ is coming back for a willing bride, a joyful bride, people that are adding value, people that aren't just coming and going, but people that find a ministry, people that find a place to serve, people that have been given a one or a two or a five talent abilities, and they're going to make a difference. Am I, am I connecting with anybody here today? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you get this, the sky is the limit. If you get this, hallelujah, you're going to get off that first mile and you're going to accelerate into that second mile and God's got plans for you. I've never been this person. Well, what's my lousy job? Everywhere I've ever had an opportunity, I've always wanted to get on the second mile. Always. I don't even have time to talk about it, so let me tell somebody else's story today. I have a picture with me of a man in our church who passed away during COVID, Brother George Clemens. Great sign, by the way, Brother Nathan. Thank you. George Clemens. I got a picture of him. I want you to see him. We buried him, I think, coming up on a two-year anniversary. George was retired, and it's the picture of him by the waterfalls. And he was a veteran of U.S. military. So for medical procedures and needs, he would go to the VA, downtown Kansas City. And George met a man there named Kwat Noor, who was from South Sudan. And some of you know the story, but some of you don't. But here's what you may not know. And they become friends. And they see each other at the VA. And so they become friends and their wives become friends. And, and George finds out that Quat has a bathroom that is in bad repair. And George is talented. And he says, could I fix your bathroom? He said, well, sure. And Quat's probably thinking, well, I wonder what this is going to cost me. So George goes and takes measurements. He comes to Quat's house with all the materials. Probably took him three or four or five days, maybe a couple weeks, I don't know. But he just labored quietly, silently. He's just serving. And it's a beautiful, I saw the before and after pictures a few years ago. It was absolutely a masterful job. And when Quat said, what do I owe you? George said, just a hug. And Quat said, what kind of a Christian are you? I got to come to a church that's got two mile men like you. And so he comes to the life church. 
He was an ordained minister in another denomination. But while he was here, he got a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. And he was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when he went back to South Sudan, when he went back, he rebaptized 40 pastors. And they rebaptized 20 congregations in the biblical pattern of water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Where, how did that happen? Because George was living on the second mile. Now, George never preached a camp meeting. He never preached a conference. He wasn't a licensed preacher. How could a man in George's ability and a white, blue-collar worker ever impact a nation in Africa called South Sudan and impact over 5,000 people. How can he do that? By becoming a second mile Christian. He added value. He loved people. He was there to serve. He had a servant's heart. And I'm telling you, this will change the world. When you get off the first mile and step into the second mile and start adding value to your job, to your boss, to your career, to your family, and to your church. Let's all stand. Praise God. Praise God. Let's clap our hands again to Jesus, who's the ultimate second mile walker. Praise God. Uh, if Ethan would come to the keyboard. I'm sorry that we went a little bit longer today than we normally do. But God's calling somebody to a new level today. I think you either have this or you don't have it. I think you either want this or you don't want it. I think about my life. I've been given so much honor. It made me cry the other day in the hotel. I'm like, God, Lord, my family honors me. The Missouri Consortium of Churches and UPCI honors me. The organization honors me. I've served eight years as district superintendent and now 14 years as assistant general superintendent. They send me all over the world. I've been in Sweden. I'm going to, my wife and I are going to Wales for their national conference in a few weeks. Caleb and I are going to Australia for their national conference. I'm pre preaching to the adults. He's preaching to the kids. I'm going to the first ever Filipino men's conference. There'll be 5,000 men there. How does this kid, this little boy from St. Paul, whose greatest vision as a 12-year-old was to be a hockey player in the NHL. So glad I gave that up. I wasn't good enough. How does that happen? I'm not patting myself on the back today. I'm so humbled by so much honor. But everywhere I've ever been, anything I've ever done, I've tried to make it better. I've tried to take it to a new level. I've tried to add value. When I was a freshman at Bible college, there was this 18-year-old girl named Sherry, and she would sit behind me in the bus, and she'd stare at me in the, you know, when the bus driver's got that big mirror up there, and she'd make eyes at me. 
and she was trying to flirt with me. So I thought, well, I can flirt to convert. I got a Bible study with her. And I brought one of the young ladies in my class at Bible school to come alongside. And I just handed Sherry off. Sherry obeyed the gospel. She repented of her sin. She was baptized in the name of the Lord. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she laid her cigarettes down on the altar the day that God filled her with the Holy Ghost. I'm a lousy 18-year-old kid. I don't know anything. I'm just studying the Bible. What am I doing? I'm trying to add value to somebody. I'm not just going to live my life for me and mine. I got to look around. I got to see who's in the room. I got to see who's there. I got to see who I can help. I got to see where I can make a difference. And are you going to live your life for the rest of your life on the first mile? Or are you going to discover the joy? When you get in that second mile, it's like breaking you know, Chuck Yeager said when he was trying to break the sonic boom, he said when he got up to that Mach 1 and that plane was shaking and he thought the whole thing was going to blow up, but he kept stepping on the accelerator, whatever pilots do. And when he broke through the sound barrier, it was smooth sailing. That's sort of what happens because the enemy will try to hold you back. Just hunker down. I'm just going to make this little cake. And then me and my son are going to die. Well, why don't you get on the second mile and give it away and see what God will do. And she gives it to the prophet. And as long as the famine was there every day, when she went to the cruise, there was oil. And she went to the barrel, there was meal. And I'm telling you, that's the kind of a God that we serve. When you get off the first mile, you'll find miracles on the second mile. I was walking through the main camp meeting in the main state of Maine. <laughs> the main camp meeting. M-A-I-N-E. When I was preaching, I said, what do you call yourself if you're from Maine? Mainians? Minions? Some lady shouted out, maniacs. I'm like, I'm all over that. That's all they heard for the next 45 minutes. Maniacs. So after one of the services, we had an altar call. And I prayed with everybody that I could see to pray with. I was making my way through the crowd, walking slowly. And there was a 20-something young man right about here. And I just gently put my hand on his right shoulder. And turn him so that I could get between him and another person to go back and see a lady that was actually my wife's, when my wife was nine years old, her Sunday school teacher was there. And she showed me the, the Sunday school book and it says Marlene Dyson, her little nine-year-old printing. I wanted to hug and kiss that lady. It just blessed me. And my sweet little wife, age nine, Somebody's investing in her. And two of her cousins were in that class. They signed it. So I just touched his right shoulder and walked by and I went back, saw the lady. About 10 minutes, I came back and the young man looked at me. He said, Brother Gleason, he said, my left arm has had chronic pain ever since I was a young teenager. (laughs) He said, I couldn't even lift it up. He said, but when you touched my right shoulder, my left shoulder was healed. 
I can't do that. I wasn't even praying for him to be healed. But I didn't shove him out of the way. I gently touched him. And God healed him. And there's miracles in this house today. Miracles you don't even have to ask God for. Miracles if you'll just get in his presence right now. He'll talk to you. If you'll get in his presence right now, he'll give you an idea. If you get in his presence, he'll help you to know what he's calling you to do. Don't leave this house on the first mile. Get on the second mile. Let's lift our hands to the Lord and cry out to him right now. Come on, let your voice out. Come on, somebody say, God, I'm tired of living on the first mile. I want a breakthrough. Come on, I'm opening the altar for second mile Christians. Keep coming all the way. People are coming behind you. Make room for somebody else. That'd be a good start. That's good. Come on. Come on, all the way in. Come on, let's press our way into the presence of God. Keep coming. There's folks behind you. Keep coming. There's folks behind you. Keep coming. Oh, the presence of the Lord is here. Come on, reach for him. Reach for more. Reach for more. Ask him where you can make a difference. Come on, ask him where you can make a difference. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody you are, some of you are already there. We need you to keep moving. We need you to keep serving. We need you to keep modeling. We need you to keep breaking through. <laughs> this is beautiful. This is a beautiful sight, people. If you got this attitude, you're going somewhere. If you got this attitude, God's got plans for you. If you have this attitude, get ready to take a journey. this attitude be in us which was also in Christ Jesus Lord may we capture this part of Christianity may we capture Lord this attitude of Christ (laughs) oh yes yes I see it happening I see it falling on you I see it coming Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.